0: Amen, amen, amen. It's great to see everyone in here today. I thank God for the opportunity to come in and share with you. Thank God for these men and women of of God who lift us up continuously through music. Thank you. Thank you, Red. T and D, thank you for who you are and what you do. We got the most faithful people in the world, and I'm so thankful to see them here every week. And thank God for Therese and Anthony back there in the booth and Greg, Greg in the outer chamber. Thank God for Destiny and for Karen being here every Sunday and for and that being here most Sundays. She's an extra cheerleader. Thank God for it. It's good to see Cass here this morning. Good to see all y'all on this side of the church, too. Everybody over here wave this morning. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Good to see all y'all this morning. Yeah. So glad that the Lord ushered you in today to share with us. Y'all and all our special guests this morning. Thank God for you. It's always a blessing. Thank you for coming, Brittany and George. Solomon, I tell you what, church won't ever be the same as before COVID, but I can't wait to get back to what we had when folks came in here and rushed to see you and hug you and see what's going on. You think it's ever coming back to that too? I won't go back. I won't go back, no more, no more. Everything is different. How we receive the word of God is different. How we interact with everyone. The question is, are you getting ready for that? Are you preparing yourself for that? Or are you pining for what used to be? That's the reason why I ask you that question. Are you pining for what used to be? Because you may sit there, sitting on the log, swinging your legs for something that used to be, and it won't ever come back to that again, which means you're going to be miserable. So you need to get ready. Get ready for the newness that's going to come. There's newness that's coming, new music, new preaching, new teaching, same Jesus, same Jesus. That's another thing, the church has always been evolving, always been evolving. But I think the question is, who or what do you depend on? Do you depend on the Lord to make everything all right? Or do you depend on systems? to be okay. Because if you're uncomfortable when systems change, then you got problems right now. The systems have changed. If we were uncomfortable with, with systems changing, then we wouldn't be coming out to you these last seven or some odd Sundays through this medium. And See, that's how good God is. Yeah. Problem here, God put a solution in place right away. We've still been able to come and communicate with you and to share God's word with you. So it's not God's part, it's your acceptance of it. That's the problem. And this medium won't ever go away. When we start having folk come back into this building really, really soon, we're going to still be doing it this way too. We'll still be able to do it online, and people are not comfortable with that. You're going to have to discipline yourself and determine how much am I going to do in person, and how much am I going to do online. Because too much of... Online doesn't get you the necessary ingredients for fellowship. Yeah, you can say, I'm just going to stay online all the time. Yeah, but you're going to miss out on a whole lot that's going on in the body of Christ. By not being here. So you need to be prayerful about how you're going to do it. Yes, we will keep the cyber sanctuary open from now on. But sometimes you need to come in the sanctuary if you're able to do it. Now, if you're not able to do it, that's another thing. That's a whole new body of celebration for you. We got some people who were homebound who now in the service again. Because that's what COVID did. So we put everything negative on COVID, but COVID brought some positive things too. Yeah. So let's be prayerful about how we move forward. For the last few weeks, except for the week last week, we, we had a different service format last week but this we've been in a sermon series um new thoughts about the old testament we're going to stay in the old testament this week the lord has sent me a message from ecclesiastes ecclesiastes let's go and see what the smartest man who ever lived has to say new thoughts from the old testament and we're going to be in chapter three chapter three of Ecclesiastes you're familiar with this chapter even if you didn't know it was chapter three of Ecclesiastes you're familiar with the sentiment that comes from this chapter and when I start reading it you will understand what I'm saying go ahead and turn there father we bless your name today and ask you to bl- Be with us as we stand here before your people. Whether whether it's a handful or a roomful, Lord, the word goes forth as you direct. We ask you to flower our seed of preparation with the anointing that comes only from you, Lord. Let it blossom into a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of your people, and then let that savor become food for them that they might continue to grow and be better in their walk and their witness for the kingdom forgive us of any of our sins lord that might hinder the effective delivery of the word of god forgive them for any barriers that might block them for, from receiving the word of god and our prayer when it's all said and done is that we'll step down from this place better than when we came in in the first place. Father, we we love you and we know you love us. And we continue to try to do that which you called us to do. In those areas that we come short, Lord, please allow grace to make the difference. Thank you for all those who have gathered in whatever medium at whatever place to receive this word and let it continue to reverberate throughout their lives in the days to come. Lord, we love you. And we absolutely adore you. In Jesus' name, we lift this up. Amen. Book of Ecclesiastes is basically a, a journal that Solomon wrote. It's like a personal journal. Where he goes through analyzing and writing his musings about, about what's happening in life. He's searching see, for what the meaning of life really is. And he reduces that to writing. Some of those thoughts come out in the form of Proverbs, which Solomon wrote many of. But even though everything in his life was going pretty good at that time, he was still struggling internally. Anybody ever have that happen in their life? Everything is going seemingly all right around you, but internally you're struggling with how, Life is, how you're dealing with life. Yeah, you got everything you could possibly want, but you're struggling. Yeah, the kingdom was doing okay. Of course, Solomon being the richest man who ever lived, there's not much he lacked materially. So that wasn't the problem. The question is, what else was he desirous of? I believe I can tell you this, and you'll receive this from me, that most of us when we reduce it all down to to the core element most of us want the same thing we want to be happy we want to be we want to be at peace with people i don't care where you go and what the complications are in your life you want that in your life it's not always that easy to get it though and so Ecclesiastes is the record of him searching for the meaning and fulfillment of life. Imagine that now. He's the richest man who ever lived. He's the wisest man who ever lived, and yet he can't find happiness. Maybe there's something to be said about happiness. Maybe happiness is not what you ought to be looking for. Maybe there's a different word, a different emotion, a different feeling we ought to be able to pull out of the air. Look, 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 he had devoted himself to wisdom. He had devoted himself to pursue he had pursued pleasure. If it was pleasurable, he had had it or, or done it. That's just what he had. Money can get all that stuff for you, you know. If you, if you, got, if you got money, you can, you can feel good for a minute. If the sensation is what you want, you can get the, you can get the sensation for a minute, it'll stick with you. He had poured himself into being successful. He had built things. He was, by all accounts, doing well. But in the end, he always came up empty. Always felt like he was restless and dissatisfied and didn't matter how much of that stuff he did, how long he did it. It always stopped, and he always came back to that same old familiar feeling. And so he writes in... Ecclesiastes, how he dealt with that. And in particular, chapter 3, he writes some thoughts about how he has dealt with life on the terms that life has given him. Ecclesiastes 3 is a very, very important step in Solomon's search for the meaning of life. I'm not trying to get philosophical or anything. What we basically have is a young man here who's just trying to feel all right. He had the ability to reduce it to writing. So let's read what he thought when he wrote chapter three. And can I tell you this? These are simply musings coming from his head that God inspired but it's what he's experiencing. God uses him as a filter to explain to all of us how to deal with one core issue today. And it's, it's, the issue is time, time. That's why I say you've heard this story before. You've heard this chapter before. Solomon writes, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and then there's a time to give up. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and there's a time to speak. A time to love. He said there's even a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil, he asks in verse 9 said, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. What a statement. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy, and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift from God. Stick a pen in verse 13. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. God's word through Solomon. Solomon said, there's a time for this and a time for that. For everything you can come up with, Solomon will validate to you that there's a time for it, but then he'll run to the other end of the spectrum, and he'll tell you that just as there's a time to start, there's always a time to stop. So today, just for a little while, as we go through and explain what Solomon was talking about, I want to use as a central thought, it's about time. It's about time yeah double meaning there double entendre it's about time see see, Solomon is basically talking about different times or seasons of life this is what he's trying to get us to be mature enough to understand and he's talking about two primary things Anthony first recognizing those seasons of life you have to be mature enough to recognize them And then you have to understand how to respond in those seasons of life when they come. Yeah, remember now, Ecclesiastes comes from those books of the Bible that are called wisdom literature. Yeah, wisdom literature. And so here we are, he's trying to give us the benefit of his living so that we can understand it and perhaps not make some of the same mistakes. I don't know about you, I can learn from other folk. Some folk act like they can't learn from other people. Yeah, you, you can, I can see somebody else's experience and say, oh, oh I'm good. I, I don't need to go through that. But then there are other people who act like they have to go through everything themselves. And even though you try to warn them and lay out caution and stop signs, they still trudge ahead. How does Solomon say we, we, we deal with the issues of life? First of all, he said recognize the seasons of life. There are seasons that come into your life. There's a time to be born, and then there's also a time to die. That's a, those are two different seasons. And he said, He said, these from the very beginning. I love this that he starts out with a time to be born and a time to die. You know why? I love it because we have no control over either of those things. No, no matter what you do, I, there's nothing, I had nothing to do with what happened on July 16th, 1964. I had nothing to do with that, I I didn't control the fact that that was the day I came into this world. Not not only that, I didn't control who I was given to as parents. I didn't control the circumstances that I came to. Nothing about that was within my control. And that's the same thing about death. It doesn't matter how much I walk and, and, and change my diet. It doesn't matter, none of that, the day that's appointed for me to die. I'm going to. And I don't have any control over that. Man cannot cheat death. It does not happen that way. And, you know, I'm not saying don't do push-ups and and take vitamins and, and go to the doctor. I'm saying do all those things. But in the end, in the end, you don't have control over that last date. It just doesn't work that way. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die. He said there's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot what you planted. Seasons of life he's talking about. It's appropriate that we act differently in different seasons. You'll learn that if you haven't, that that as life goes on, things you like, you don't like no more. Things you used to do, you don't do anymore. In a farming society, They knew that there were times when the temperature and the rainfall was perfect and they were conducive to planting crops. Now, that doesn't mean in your freedoms you can't plant at another time. It simply means that if you plant at a time that's not conducive to planting, then you won't get the result you've seen. People ought to hear me now. In your life, you have the freedom to do the things you want to do, but there are seasons when you have to do certain things. Yeah. I read uh, an article last week that said a 69-year-old woman was pregnant. That's out of season. Oh, that's out of season. That's out of season. Let me tell you why that's out of season. It's selfish. Oh, yeah, because if you're going to have a baby, your intention is to raise a baby. Oh, see, see, that's what I'm saying. You think just because she got the right and the ability to get pregnant, then she should do it. I'm here to tell you, that's selfish. Because a 70-year-old woman ain't got no business running behind no toddler. There are seasons in life when you ought to be raising young children, and when you don't do them in the right season, guess what? Everybody pays the consequences for doing that. Not only you pay the consequence, you can't even bend down and play with the baby like you used to. Pick him up from the ground. But not only that, the baby suffers. There are at least two or three generations coming between you. You have no idea what this baby's generation is going through growing up. It's tough. Out of season. That, not, not, that don't stop you from the freedom of doing it. Over the next six verses, Just like Solomon tells us there's a time to plan and a time to pull up, he goes through and tells us there's a whole bunch of other examples, whole bunch of other examples. He said there's a a time to kill like during war. You think about it, there's a time to kill. As ugly as that is, he said there's a time you have to go in and you have to do this. Nobody in here would doubt that the deaths of Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden or some of these other terrorists was necessary in order to prevent thousands of other people from also being killed. You might not like the conversation, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a season where where that was not appropriate. Thankfully, there's more often than a time to kill, a time to heal. Thank God for that. There's also a time to tear down. Time to tear down. At some point in life, that old home house that everybody loved to come to, at some point that old home house needs to be torn down. And why do you tear it down? So you can put up something new in its place. So there's a time that just as there was a time to build it up and live and love in it when we don't appreciate it and it gets dilapidated and it's more dangerous standing up then there's a time to tear all that that down. And Solomon simply says that, just knock it down. But that's okay, because you can turn around and start a new season of building. Verse 4 says there's a time to weep and a time to mourn, Like, like people at a prayer meeting, and somebody comes in and kills them while they're at church. Oh, there's a time to weep there. But you can't even go into a sacred space of Bible study and not be harmed by evil. The appropriate thing for any right-thinking person once they heard that happened was to weep and to mourn. And yet, even in that space, you had people who were celebrating. You don't hear me. That's out of season. That's out of season. They were celebrating because somehow they think that these people who were simply at Bible study deserve what they got. Yeah. Just because you're in that season doesn't mean other people are there. But just as there's a time to weep and mourn, I thank God that he's also shown us that there's a time to dance and laugh. There's a time to dance and laugh, like at graduations and at weddings and and at the birth of babies and just sometimes at the silliness of life. There's a time for all of that. But how many of y'all know that you don't want to be around somebody that's silly all the time? Yeah, you don't want to be around them. There's a time for you to be serious about things. In fact, you'll come back and draw that as a negative, as they laugh too much. Yeah, they can't always be, everything ain't funny. And you'll find yourself, if you find yourself out of season in that space, you'll be at a serious juncture and you'll act inappropriately. And it'll show your lack of maturity in that space because to everything, there's a season. My friend tells me all the time that it seems that at the most serious points in life, the funniest things happen. is just, just the oxygen, this just you're at, you're at a, a space where you should be so focused and concentrating and you see something that you just is side-splitting funny. I think God has a sense of humor, but he puts us in that space, and it's to show us that we can control ourselves under those circumstances, and sometimes we can't. Sometimes, sometimes it's a gift from God that in those circumstances when you are to be so serious, perhaps at a funeral, you absolutely see something that makes you smile and laugh, and maybe it's simply God's reminder that even in this bad season, I still love you. And here's something to remind you that everything is going to be all right. There's a time to scatter stones. And then there's a time to pick them up again. Yeah, you know, in an agricultural setting like Solomon was used to, when they planted fields, cast they had to go out and pick all the stones out or else they couldn't plant the rows. So there's a time to scatter them. But there's also a time to go out and pick them up. So you could build a gate or a fence around it. So there's a time for both of those things. There's also a time to search for certain things. Time for that. But after a while, there's a time to give it up. Yeah, some people have spent their lives searching for something that they were never meant to find. Never meant to find. And some people have been given something, but they've been searching for something else. And because of that, they've never learned to appreciate what they've been given. You can be consumed by searching for something. Consumed. There's a time to keep for all you hoarders out there. Oh, yeah, you know who you are. But there's also a time to throw away. I'm going to say that again. There's a time to keep. But there's also a time to throw away like annual spring cleaning. Get rid of it. If you ain't used it in a year, two, come on now. Let somebody else benefit from it. A wise person knows where the line is. There's also a time to tear. I think the King James Version gives us a better word, rend. Rend, you know, during times of immense grief, like when Job found out all his children were killed, he tore his clothing as a sign of distress, that was a tragedy that was just unspeakable. And so the act of tearing your clothing signifies just how much distress you're in. But after a while, there's a time to get up and, mend. you know, some folk ain't got but two, three pieces of clothes. You go tearing everything, and all right now, that thread in there, you got to get in there and fix that up again. You can't be walking around with that torn all up like that because the period is over for you to behave in that manner. That's what people say. I don't know that there's ever an appropriate time to stop grieving. Simply the way you grieve. If your grief is so debilitating, you need to go get somebody to talk to, help you. You can't go through the things of life you've never turned off that season. And I can tell you these many years later, I still grieve my mother's passing, but it's not an active grief. And that makes a big difference. Some people 20 years after the fact are still actively grieving. That is not a healthy place to be in. That tells me, and I'm sure it would tell any professional that you've never grieved appropriately. You still have some unfinished business that you need to deal with. There's a time to be silent and then there's a time to open your mouth. Yeah. That is what's wrong in our community right now is that good people say nothing. They do nothing. And they allow evil to flourish under those circumstances. That's a problem. And then verse 8, there's a time to love, which is pretty obvious, we all hang on to love. But also, there's a time to hate. Isn't it amazing that at some point in life, that which you love, you can hate? But the transverse of that is true as well. That which you hated, you can also love. And in a mature world, it simply depends on the seasons you find yourself in. And just like God hates certain things in our community, that's our problem, y'all. That's one of our problems is we don't hate the things that God hates. We pet the things that God hates. We make, we make friends with that which God hates. We, we, we beautify and, and, and we justify sin, but God always hates sin. And even though he loves you, if you are being sinful, he's not happy with you. No, no, he's not happy with you. And so these are the reasons that Solomon writes this story. He says there's a time for all of this, dynamic in how he approaches it. Can't you just see him walking around, sitting around, quill in hand, imagining these things when you are the richest man in the world. One would think that there's not a lot of work to be done, but can I tell you that he labored for us so that we might have a better understanding in this space. It's like all of the things you experience in life, Solomon has pondered them and says, let me suggest this format for you. And so for a lot of us right now, you're in a season. You don't know what that season is. You're trying to identify it. And how you identify that season depends on how you see the world at, at, the world as a whole. How you see this season in your life. Now, I'm going to step on some toes when I say this, but that's all right. That's all right. Because it's one thing to identify the season, the second thing is how you respond to the season. The most significant thing is how you respond to it. You say, I'm in a season right now, I didn't choose it, but I'm here, I didn't see it coming, but I'm here. I didn't choose the day of this activity happening, but it happened. What do I do with that in this season in my life? And I think what Solomon is saying is there's two basic ways you can respond. First of all, you can respond if you think that life is random. If you think that life is random, then that tells you how you respond. If you think things just happen, yeah, that tells you how you respond. Things just, there's no purpose, Cass. Things just happen. There's no deeper meaning to life. They just happen by pure chance. And That's a, that's a view that a lot of people are, 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 are really sticking a pin in, that there's just a randomness to life. Yeah, the novelist Paul Auster wrote, the world is governed by chance. Randomness stalks us every day of our lives. Even, even folks who are famous, you'd be shocked to know, Sidney Poitier said, so much of life, it seems to me, is determined by pure randomness. Yeah. Richard Dawkins, who is a famous atheist biologist, has a theory, and he goes into much more detail about the randomness of life. About how if the universe is just electrons and selfish genes, Meaningless tragedies like the crashing of a bus filled with school children, then what should we expect? In fact, we can't even be mad if it's just random because then there's no ill motive in it because things just happen. It is the most complete nothing statement I've ever read because he ascribes no responsibility to people. He says it just happens. That's one way of looking at it. Life is just random. Somebody needs to hear me now. This is a more mature sermon than maybe you were ready for a Sunday morning. All right? So you see what he's saying? He's saying if you get rear-ended at a stoplight or you enter a really difficult season of life or even if you win a million dollars in the jackpot or you enter the best season you've had in life It's not because it's anybody making that happen. He's saying it just happens. And there's no reason for you to be happy or sad because things just happen. And be careful when things like that just happen because it could change in a moment. And so there's no need to ever be joyful or happy. Let me tell you what happens when you have the randomness of life perspective. When you have this perspective, when you look at life like that the first thing it leads to is futility futility that means that that means what do i get from working hard why should i work hard in other words if life is so random then why am i putting this into my day every day cash why i get up in the morning and put into it and before long Uh, If I raise my kids well, it doesn't matter because they're going to end up turning against me anyway if it's just random. If I clean up my basement after it flooded, what difference does it make? Because flood going to come along and fill it up again. What difference does it make? And before long, life takes on that level of frustration. And people just, just can't operate in that. Not only does it bring up frustration, Anthony, it also brings up futility. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You just, you just quit, you just quit. You say, I'm not going to do it anymore, it's futile for me to do anything. Futile, why? Look, verses 10 and 11 says this, it spells out the frustration, it said, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful and its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. If you focus on that second phase, he has set eternity in the human heart. In other words, there's something in us unlike any other creature that God has created. God has given us, human beings, something, and we know that there is more than just the time God lets us stay on earth. We know intimately that there's something bigger and better than us. When you look at a baby and how he's put together, you know that there's no way that just happened by chance. It's not just random. When you understand how a baby is born and how he grows, you know there's no way it's just random. When you know, Destiny, that every morning the sun is going to come up and every morning when it go I mean, evening when it goes down and somebody keeps that together, Somebody is protecting us from the sun coming too close to us and burning it up, burning us up. But that same sun can make a flower grow. How can that just be random? How can it just be random and yet there are people who believe that? Nobody can fathom what God has done. The same water that comes out of the sky that can be a hurricane can also be a spring shower. The same water that comes from the sky, that can be a torrential rain, can also be due in the morning. Who controls all of these things? And if you believe that life is just random, then something doesn't make sense to you. So if you believe in the first way of thinking that life is just random, then you got a problem. But there's a second thing, and this is what I believe Solomon meant to us, meant. This is where he was going in his musings. Yeah. Solomon's notion was that he interpreted the seasons of life that we go through by saying that in the end, I believe that God is in control. Now, that depends on how you look at it. You might look at it to say it's completely random. Things just happen. But Solomon said, I believe that God is in control. Yeah. How's that? How things happen is how God wants them to happen, or how God allows them to happen. That everything that happens in my life is being, is being driven by a purposeful God. And when you choose this view over the random view, then things start happening different in your life. Somebody needs to hear me right now because you're around some people who are in the random view category. They don't believe that anybody's in charge of their life. They think that things just happen to them and no matter what they do, that the change, that no change will come. But you on the other hand have a maturity that comes from having a relationship with the Lord. And your maturity that comes from having a relationship with the Lord shapes your whole view. It shapes how you not only deal with your life, but it shapes how you deal with other people in life. Having this level of appreciation for somebody bigger than you and I being in charge is a place you want to be. Let me tell you why. The first thing you get when you understand that somebody else is in charge is you get wonderment. Oh yeah, you're in awe that God can do the things that he does. Isn't it just, aren't you just awestruck? You ever watched a newborn baby come into the world? Have you ever seen what happens? And have you ever wondered how can God let us make another person? From, From what does he give us this authority to be almost, I think, when we make babies, when we allow children to come in, we're as close to being God-like as we could ever be. Think about that. You have created another person. And then, while you're in that space of wonder, fear and dread takes over. Because you say to yourself, what am I gonna do with this baby? that I have? How do I shape him and mold him or her into, ex, to be a, a, a contributor to society and not a taker from society? Look, verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. In other words, God's in control. He's sovereign over all the seasons in our lives, and he's the one with the plan. He knows exactly what he's doing, and knowing that should cause us to fear him. Not fear in terms of trembling, but fear him in terms of saying, oh, he's a magnificent God. And don't we say it all the time? Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a mighty God. And we say, our God is a terrible God. One of my movies that I watch with my daughter most of the time is Harry Potter. The villain, Voldemort, in the movie is one of the mightiest, most powerful magicians in the kingdom. But he's hated. They hate him. And because of the hate, they misplaced the fact that he's still a mighty magician. And one of the, uh, one of the older characters in it, in one scene says about him, he was, he was terrible, but powerful. Because we never look at the other side. That even awful people can be geniuses. They can be powerful. It's not the fact that God limited them from being a genius. It's what they did with it. It's not the fact that God didn't give them resources. It's what they did with it that made it awful. And when you have the proper view of life, then you have someone to help you frame what you ought to do with what God has blessed you with. And knowing that God is in control fills you with wonder. Watch this. J.J. J. Packer, in, his book, in the book, Knowing God, talks about what wisdom really is. And he uses the illustration of a very busy train station. They're a busy train station. And when you come in and you look at that train station, all you see is the randomness of life. You see people coming and you see people going. I think I put an illustration there. You see people coming and you see people going and you don't know which way they're coming or going. They don't know if they'll get there on time. Some of them will be delayed through no fault of their own. Some of them will be able to get on a little bit earlier than you thought. They have little control of what's going on in their lives. All they know is they showed up at the station and now they're involved with everybody else. Other people can hinder them from getting where they're going. People can slow you down. Some people can speed you up. That's just, it seems to be out of control. But that's from the ground view perspective. Walk with me on this. That's from the ground view perspective of life, T. But if you were to be able to, Get up into, show me the next picture, the, the control room of that same station. You would see that what appears to be chaos on the ground is actually very well controlled from the from the. Uh, Control room. Can I tell you, God hasn't allowed us into the control room of our lives. But what looks like chaos to us is actually being managed by the Lord. You might look like you're in a season that there's nothing that can handle, but can I tell you, God's in control. He's managing everything on the ground. It simply matters what your perspective is. And that's what Solomon said now. Solomon said this so many years ago, and when you know that God's in control like that, that's the wonderment of life. And then you start saying, you mean God would take somebody like me, and as much as I've done wrong and take care of me, it's a wonder that he would even do anything for me. See, that's how I am. That's how I am, I know. I know what I've done. I know, you don't know what I've done. I know what I've done. And the fact that God would have anything to do with me makes me be in awe of that kind of God. Yeah, and guess what? God won't let us into the control room of life. You know why? Because that ego-boosting location creates other problems. Yeah, if you already know everything that's going to happen, you don't have to have faith. If you already know, faith is what keeps you on the rails. You have to be faithful to him in everything. Having wisdom means that you know, help me now, that there's somebody in the control room. Having wisdom means you know, That somebody's in charge of what's going on. That's what having wisdom is. Not believing in randomness, but believing in purpose. Believing in providence. Believing in grace. That's what having wisdom is. And guess what happens when you get to that place? In addition to having wonderment, you can start in life having enjoyment. Oh yeah, because I know that somebody's in charge, then I can start now living a little bit different. I can start enjoying the life that God has afforded to me. I know I'm in a bad season. Some people say, you know, I'm going through this bad time in my life. And look, verse 13 sets it up purposely. He says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil This is a gift of God. Yeah. Enjoyment. God has given us the enjoyment of life as a gift. He knows the seasons we go through. But what will happen is we'll get to a season. And because that season is so tough, we'll stop living. We'll stop living. We'll stop enjoying life. We'll stop dealing with life and the good things he gives because we're stuck on the bad thing we got. We stop going around folk. Yeah, we stop being involved with people. Why? Because we say, I'm going to wait until this bad season in my life moves on. And then I'm going to start living again. But that doesn't mean you see God as being in control because God is still in control of your life, even in the bad seasons of life. He's in control, which means you need to enjoy life as you can while he's still in control. I know it's a hard season, but this is the temptation. If you don't start enjoying life then, that means you're going to stay stuck or you're going to do something else. You're going to go backwards in your life to a period in time when you thought you were enjoying yourself. And that gives you problems too. I'm going to go back to this season in my life that I thought everything was okay. And I'm going to stay in that season in my life because that's when I was at my best and that's not what God intended for you. No, no, because there's a reason he allowed you to come out of that season. That's a reason why things change. That doesn't make sense. Relationships end. Injuries happen. People lose jobs. But if you're so bitter about that, that you stop living that you're only focused on getting out of that season, then you don't enjoy the gifts that God is giving you in this season. You're ignoring all the good because you stuck on that bad. You stuck on that bad. Yeah. One preacher said he was talking to a member who's in a long, drawn-out divorce proceeding, painful season. And she said that, I realize that this whole thing won't be resolved for over a year. This is what she said. she said. She said, so here I am in this season. And she said, I can postpone my happiness and postpone my joy till it's all resolved. She said, but I'm learning to enjoy my kids and my friends and my family members and the simple gifts of God right now. Right now. In the middle of all this mess, I'm finding a new level of joy and love in the middle of my mess. And all of this because I know that God is walking with me. And if he's walking with me, he's going to protect me and he's going to keep junk from happening to me. You know, if we're not careful, we'll postpone the enjoyment of life every time there's a hard season. And you'll find yourself with years past and you never have lived. You never have lived and all that is meaningful meaningful to you will be gone. Because you were waiting on that spot to pass. Guess what? Because the world is broken. It's going to stay broken. Things are going to continue to happen. But you can't let that stop you from being grateful and looking at how good God has been in those circumstances. And so once you understand uh, and you're that God is in control and you understand the wonderment of him being in control, you can start with enjoyment. And then enjoyment leads you to something that I love and that's called involvement. Those of us who have a Christ-like view realize that we're in this world to effect change. Yeah, we're supposed to impact the kingdom. It's supposed to fill our presence in some way. Some people think it's supposed to fill your presence in a big way, and can I tell you that a butterfly can make ripples? in a pond. You don't have to be a torrential, you don't have to be a storm in order to move the pond. You just have to do the little bit you can do. Verse 12 says, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. This is what Solomon realized, that after all the stuff I've got, all the things I've done, all the pleasure I've had, I found the most fulfilling thing to be able to do good to people, to help people who can't help themselves, to teach them what I know. That brings more satisfaction than anything else. And that's an amazing thing to me. Our mother was diagnosed with leukemia before she retired from University Hospital. It was a season she didn't expect. She didn't expect that. She spent hours at the hospital getting chemotherapy, waiting on doctors, various appointments, sometimes just waiting on doctors to show up. It's interesting that she spent her whole life working in a hospital that she turned around later and became a patient in. It gave her a completely different view on that hospital completely different side of the hospital, waiting to be stabbed with IV needles, having chemicals poured into your body. But she believed that God was in control. She did, she did. I was so immature in my faith, and I'd ask her questions that she didn't know the answer to. But her testimony was never, why me? She courageously told me that her testimony was, why not me? She said, other people get sick all the time. She said, I'm no better than anybody else. Why should somebody else have to go through this? But she also understood that in her place that she found herself in, that there was work that could be done. She didn't believe in random, she believed God was in control. She exuded that when you met her. You've heard me talk about my mama before. And I know that people can make folk larger than life after life. I realize that, and I don't have to do that. Her life spoke for itself. But the truth of the matter is, while she was in that hospital, she saw it as a place of service. Just as she did when she was working. When she was sitting there going for her own treatment, She talked to the other patient. She asked them if they knew the Lord. She talked to the nurses. She asked them if they knew the Lord. She did it over and over again, so she found her place of ministry even while she was being helped. How do I know this? How do I know it? Well, I saw it. If I went to an appointment with her on the occasion that I could, I'd see her doing that and having a conversation and telling them how good God was going to be to her. Not only that, telling folk who may not have even known the Lord, don't worry, the Lord's going to take care of you. How do I know the impact it had? Because at my mama's funeral, her main doctor, Dr. Saleh, was a Muslim. He came to her funeral. A Muslim doctor came to a Christian funeral because of the witness, and he spoke. He spoke because he and mama talked all the time about her faith in God. And yes, she was human. Sometimes the news she got was not encouraging, it was discouraging. And guess what? She has spoken about God and her faith in God so much that a Muslim repeated her statements to her and asked her, what makes you think that the God you love won't bless you the way you say he's been blessing everybody else? This is a Muslim preaching to her at the hospital. Because she understood that involvement in folks' lives, and as painful as it was for us to sit there at that funeral service, my heart was full of joy that Mama's witness spoke beyond her life into this Muslim man. involvement and some people go through nothing in life and claim to have a relationship with the lord and never tell anybody how good he is to them they never lift their voices to praise him anyway you just wear what he's given you and drive what he's given you and use all the resources and you never give him credit publicly somebody else needs to know the same god you need to tell somebody that it wasn't because you were so cute so smart it wasn't because you got a degree it wasn't because you spent 30 years on a job it wasn't it wasn't any of that it was because god has been good and faithful to you that you're able to be able to celebrate You need to be able to tell folk that, and guess what? That leads to the last thing you find. When you know that God is in control, it gets you to what Solomon said is the ultimate cheat code in life. Oh yeah, see, all of this came down to, the ultimate cheat code in life is once you understand that God is in fact in control, not only is there wonderment, oh yeah, not only is there enjoyment, There's also involvement, but the last thing there is, Cass, and this is what makes the difference between believers and most folk. there's contentment. Oh, yeah, there's contentment. There is contentment. You hear me? There is contentment. When you know that God is in control, you're not restless, you're not bitter, you're not jaded. You are content. Paul said it best in Philippians 4 and 12. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've heard that this, learned that the secret of being content and in and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, when you know that the Lord is with you, then you're content to take whatever it is he gives you yeah. You hear older folks say, I might not have everything I want, but I got everything God wants for me. You need to learn how to take that into your life. Think about how many nights you can reclaim from not being able to sleep if you find yourself contented. In Ecclesiastes, Paul, validate, I mean, Solomon is validated later by Paul saying the same thing. Contentment is the key to life. Old Testament New Testament, both of them reach a place in life that they're contented. I'm not reaching for anything else. The secret is contentment. Watch this. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation is this simple phrase, I can do all things through Christ, who gives me the strength. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. That's a statement you ought to put in your mouth and in your mind, and it can help you in any situation you find yourself in. Good situation, bad situation, you afraid, pull that one down. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I love this because usually when you find that the uh, New Testament is validating the Old Testament, you can lock on to that one. And I'm telling you that Solomon and Paul, hundreds of years apart, of got the same testimony. And both of them are leading us to know that we ought to be content in knowing that God is in control. He gives us the same strength. Look at this. He gives you the same strength that he gave to Jesus the Christ. The same Holy Spirit is indwelling you. The same one, I realize that sometimes you struggle with why God is allowing things to happen. I want to give you the words of my granddaddy, just keep living, just keep living and all things will come to you. God will bless you with that kind of knowledge. But know this, he's the kind of God who didn't spare us anything. He didn't spare us his love in any form or fashion. He gave us the greatest he had in heaven, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. That's how I know he's in charge, because any man that'll send his son to die for me, anyone who would send their only begotten son to die for folk who didn't love him, got to have my best interest in heart. And I can tell you right now, he's got your best interest in heart too. It's all, about time, y'all, it's about time. What are you doing with the time you have? And who do you think is in charge of the time? And I can tell you right now that God is in control. I can't wait until I see him again, because I want to thank him for how he blessed me with the time that he gave me. God bless you today. God, keep you is my prayer.